This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Your Money on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Your Money, Sirius XM, Channel 132, Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Kent Smithers, a professor here at Wharton in Philadelphia. We're uh, taping these segments by Zoom as the University of Pennsylvania remains closed and we'll begin live shows again uh, when we can and when the university reopens. In the meanwhile, you can connect with me online by going to my website, Kent.Money. Dot com. If you're looking for an advisor that I like, I have a large and growing list of advisors that I've screened and their names are on the website. Remember, we only look for uh, fee only. Remember, uh, always memorize only fee only. And that's again on uh, kentonmoney.com. And so the, certainly there's been a lot in, going on in the world right now. It's been uh, affecting financial markets and your cash flows, a global pandemic. Uh, lots of other things, presidential elections. So if you're worried about your cash flow and some of your investments, uh, that now is the, per- the perfect show for you to listen to. Welcoming uh, my next guest here, Jamie Mengus, who is a registered financial planner and principal with PDS Planning Corporate, based in Columbus, Ohio. We'll get more on how you can find them at the end of this segment. Welcome to the show, Jamie. Hey, thanks, Kent. Thanks for having me. And so certainly uh, one of the topics that comes up a lot on the show is, uh, you know, emergency reserves, how much money to have in the bank accounts. Um, I often say that three to six months. And I've noticed, you know, people are starting to think maybe that was too simple uh, of a rule. So how much cash in the bank do you think is enough? And how do you think through it with a client? Yeah. And, you know, obviously this is a question that's unique to each individual investor or client, but I think you start with the stability of your income. So for example, if you've got a public sector salary, uh, as an example, a teacher versus somebody who's in a sales space and it's almost all or completely driven by commissions, I think you have to look at it two different ways. Your your rule of thumb of three to six months, and I think a lot of folks are rethinking what that needs to be today, and they're starting to lengthen that out to a more six to nine month window. Um, I think what you first need to do is sit down and model what your expenses are, and what are the things that are fixed that have to be paid? What are the things that are variable that you can have some control over month to month? And then look again at the stability of your income. If your income is in the sales space, we really like that nine maybe conservatively, nine to 12 months yeah. of fixed expenses. Um, but if you're, you know, if both of, you know, if you have a, if you're married and have a spouse, you're both working, um, you know, you got to evaluate that from a individual basis and then kind of bring it together for your household. But one thing we really caution people about is whatever number you arrive at, that's, that money should sit at the bank in a very stable environment. Don't chase return there. I think access to capital when you need it most is, is the primary driver here. Yeah, yeah, and then I completely agree. And you know, one of the things I often tell people, like in the oil and gas industry, because we have often a lot of callers uh, uh, from the Midwest and the in the West, uh, is you know, a lot of those guys should be you know saving twelve months easily because of the cyclical nature of that industry. So it's really important not to have the simple rules of thumb, but to really look at the industry, how variable uh, the income is. 
Uh, I also often tell people to think about using the, uh, not their regular checking account because it makes the money a little bit more tempting and also sometimes has lower returns as well. Might as well get something by maybe having an online savings account. Um, it's, you know, maybe takes a couple of days to transfer the money, plenty of time to pay for, you know, um, it needed expenses, but a little bit of a stand in the gears if you want to buy a new pair of shoes or something like that. I mean, is that where do you normally have people park their 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 uh, uh, their emergency account? Is it kind of an online savings account or where, where from? So it's one of a couple of places, an online savings account with an FDIC insured bank like out, you know, there's several of them out there. Um, or if they have a brokerage account where they maintain some investments and they can get into either a government insured money market or they can buy secondary market CDs. Those are great things. You brought up a great point earlier when you mentioned that having a little distance between you and the money, if it takes a day or so to get, it gives you some time to evaluate some of those decisions that you might make. Yeah. Um, you have to be a little more specific about what you're doing or a little more intentional, I should say, about how you're going to spend that money. So we really like uh, kind of keeping it a, a little bit at an arm's length so it's not as easily accessible. But these online banks, I did it for the first time back in 2016, did it in December. And the first thing I did was I transferred $250 to an online savings account. Mm -hmm. I logged in the next day. And if you can imagine this, the money was still there. I had to overcome the fear of an online savings bank. But since I've done it, I can't imagine not having done it myself. I'm a full online savings bank person now. I, yeah. I have a little bit of money in a bricks and mortar institution. Uh, but I found that I can do everything I need to do through these online accounts. And they does give me a greater rate of return. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Lower Lower costs allows them to produce a higher rate of return. So what things in, you know, a person's monthly cash flow should they be looking at, you know, paying attention to right now? I mean, there's certain things that maybe they have some flexibility on. Yeah, so I would start with, there's, you know, typically the biggest expense in most folks' home is their mortgage or their rent check. Yeah. And I think right now, even folks who have refinanced within the last 12 months, they owe it to themselves to call their banker back or to search on the internet or go through a mortgage broker and consider looking at their mortgage to see if it can be re refinanced to an even lower rate. Believe it or right. not, that may be possible even if you refinanced 12 months ago. If you're a renter, right now there's a lot of landlords out there who are struggling, uh, who have concerns about collecting all their rents. Yeah. And one of the things that you might consider doing is if you've got a considerable amount of time left on your lease or you have a lease coming up in the next couple of months is to consider renegotiating. So if you've got a, a decent amount left on your lease, go to your landlord and say, hey, if I were willing to extend my lease, if you think it fits within your job security, if I were willing to extend my lease, would you consider giving me a little bit of break on the rent? There's a lot of landlords that might take you up on that today. Sure. If you've got a rent coming or a lease coming due here in a couple of months and you're out looking around, don't just sign up to renew. It may be worth the hassle of a move to negotiate a far more um, beneficial lease rate for yourself. So even renters in today's market can be aggressive with this. No, I think, I think that's great advice. I mean, you know, it's, it's sometimes easy to be shy or even embarrassed about negotiating, but, you know, the fact of the matter is those who are in fact landlords are themselves very nervous about this market and where things are headed and 
they, they may be willing to give you a break just for their own security about having a longer uh, a term lease. So let's talk about, you, you mentioned mortgage payments, but there's also monthly credit card bills. Um, there are also uh, low line uh, fruit. What are some other places that maybe be saving money right now? Yeah, so I'm gonna mention two things that used to be like almost a cancer to a budget. The first one was sure. always ATMs. And you, because the thing is, is we take the money out in cash, we go buy something with it. And at the end of the month, we really can't recall where that money went. The new one today that's replaced ATMs, in my opinion, is Amazon. It's so mm. convenient, um, right at our fingertips to order online. And it's not just Amazon, but there are several vendors of this. Yeah. And so I think what you need to do is we've all got a little more time on our hands because we're not traveling. Uh, we're not out in social environments like we were before. Take a moment and look at where you're spending money inside those types of venues. Um, I think that's something that's really important. Yeah. There's some other things that are also big dollar items that if you're willing to take the time and ask tough questions and you've got the right to ask these tough questions, yeah. if you should look at your financial products that you own, either that you purchased on your own or you purchased through an advisor, you should find out what your product fees are. So things like, do I own life cash value life insurance that might be expensive? Do I have a high cost annuity? What are my mutual fund expense ratios like? And the other question you should ask is, what am I paying an advisor if I actually have one? And right. it's fair to ask that question. And those, you may find considerable amounts of money um, are being sent to or transferred to, in essence, um, product companies and advisors. And those things are, those are fair questions asked today. Absolutely. I mean, an additional 1%, 2% management fee can really eat away at your, your savings over time. So it's, it's, it, I always tell people convert whatever percent you're paying, convert it into a dollar amount and that, and actually ask, is that worth it for the, the time that you're spending with your advisor? Are you getting a written financial plan and the other services? Keep in mind, of course, the advisor's not just spending time with you on the phone or on Zoom. I mean, they're doing lots of other things behind the scenes, but um, ultimately you have to ask those questions, is it, is it worth it? Um, and so including, you know, tax efficiency, uh, uh, services being provided and so forth. Yes. So, you know, we certainly have, you know, listeners who are retired now and they don't have as much flexibility to, you know, go back to work or, you know, and maybe extend when they retire. And, and so they're afraid of, you know, they're going to lose everything in the stock market. So what's some advice that you're giving them? Yeah, we've had a lot of retirees, our clients who have called with concerns. Imagine February 19th to about March 20th in about a 30-day window, the S&P 500 was down roughly 35%. That's right. going to create fear and panic in anybody's uh, emotional set. With our retirees, though, as you mentioned, they don't have the ability to go back to work. So it's a, it's a doubly scary uh, environment for them. So what we talk to them about is we want to make sure that we understand how much guaranteed income do you have coming in each month or each year, and how much money do you have to spend through taxes and lifestyle mm -hmm. to take care of your entire year? So if you have, let's say, $50,000 coming in through pensions, Social Security, and other direct sources, and you're spending $75,000 with taxes and lifestyle, then $25,000 is your shortfall, and you've got to come up with that out of your portfolio or your savings. We mm -hmm. tell clients it's really important to maintain about seven to 12 years worth of that expected withdrawal amount 
accounting for inflation and taxes, we like to have those assets held in what we call capital reserves, which are asset classes that exhibit qualities of stability, preservation of capital. So you think about cash, CDs, short-term high-grade bonds. If you have seven to 12 years of your expected spending needs covered in those asset classes, you can, inset, and in a way, it will dampen the emotional impact of watching what happened in the market in February and March. Because, you know, I use the corny analogy, it's like having canned goods in a storm cellar. You can draw upon those stable reserve asset classes while the markets are extremely volatile right now. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. The other thing, if I can add one more thing to it that I think is really important for retirees, it's important for everyone, but certainly for retirees, is to understand what you own. So we talk to clients all the time. We say volatility is a good thing and a bad thing. On the good side, volatility is nothing more than deviation from the average. So right. volatility goes up, volatility goes down. Volatility is not a permanent loss of capital. In our opinion, a permanent loss of capital is your greatest investment risk. So mm. if I buy an individual stock or I invest in a friend's business and it goes out of business and goes to zero, that's permanent loss of capital. If I buy a broad-based index fund, for example, maybe I can buy one that tracks the S&P 500, I now own parts of 500 businesses my chances of permanent loss of capital are pretty slim. And so we think understanding what you own so that you don't get caught off guard with a concentration of money in something that has a permanent loss of capital risk. You know, understand what you own and make sure cash is always king. Make sure you have enough money set aside to cover a couple of years um, of those expected withdrawal needs. Excellent, fantastic. Uh, hey, Jamie, fantastic job. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. And you can learn more about Jamie Megas by going to his company's website, which is pdsplanning.com. Again, that's pdsplanning.com. And you can also check out his blog at wealthadvicemadesimple.com. Again, wealthadvicemadesimple.com. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.